Yeah, well, praise God. Uh, we, I'm excited about this. And over the next few weeks, we're going to be finishing our series on uh, prayers that made a difference. I hope on Palm Sunday to finish, God willing, with Jesus' powerful prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. But then after that, we're beginning this new series called Love Reigns. How many of you know that sometimes uh, the world kind of distorts what genuine love is? Right? And, uh, but uh, genuine love is this. It starts right here, John 15, 13, where Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, that he lays his life down for his friends. And so on Easter Sunday, we're going to be doing uh, a sermon on that. Then the following week will be Love Reigns Over Our Past. Then the next week after that will be Love Reigns Over Our Present. And the week after that will be Love Reigns Over Our Future. And so I'm really excited about this. We've got some banners. Uh, Emily made this great artwork, and we've got banners that will be based on that. will be coming out. And also some invitation cards for you to bring. And I'm going to ask you sometime during the course of this month to pray over, you know, who God might um, have you give that card to or at least invite to Easter services uh, one way or another. We've got the Love Reigns t-shirts are coming too. I mean, I'm so excited about this. I just had to have the t-shirt. All right, as well. And so there should be some available for you as well. I think we're getting Love Reigns tumblers, uh, you know, as well. So you can tell I'm a little bit excited about this. All right, and I hope that you are too as we're getting ready for this and as we're finishing this um, series on prayer and looking towards this Love Reigns. If there's anything the world needs right now, it's a turning back to God to experience the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ that's found in the cross. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, today we are uh, going to be continuing this series that we've been in called Prayers That Made a Difference. And uh, we've been looking at people in the Bible who prayed key prayers at key uh, points in time that moved the hand of God and made a difference in the situation. So far, we've looked at Elijah. We looked at David's powerful prayer of repentance. We looked at Habakkuk's powerful prayer of embracing God in in the struggle. And last week, we began looking at things that the Bible says that we should ask God for. Or things that the Bible says we should talk to God about. Remember last week we looked at ask God for wisdom, ask God for guidance, ask God, talk to God about the harvest and about how to pray for your pastors and missionaries as well. And so all of this, by the way, is designed to help you. You know, if you've ever been in a situation when you feel like your prayers are just repetitive and you're just saying the same thing over and over again and you're done in five minutes, well, seeking God about the things he says that we should talk to him about helps us get away from that and have a less repetitive time and a more authentic time with God that's more conversational rather than a religious duty. And so today we're going to continue looking at another one thing that God says that we should ask him about and talk to him about. And it's found in James chapter 5. And it's a short, it's half a verse, but it has so much stuff in it that we're going to unpack today. And it's this. God says that we should talk to him if we are in trouble. Verse 13, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Now, how many of you have ever been in trouble? Maybe some of you, when you were children, were in trouble more than others. I don't know. It seems like I was in trouble a lot when I was a kid. I remember this one time, my mom was out uh, having a mom's night out or something like that, and my dad fell asleep in the chair in the living room, and when he took a nap, he was out for a while, so we knew we were safe, and I thought, wouldn't it be great I felt like doing some coloring. So I went into the living room, and you know what? I saw the living room floor, and I thought, wow. That's what it was, a nice hardwood floor. 
and I thought, wouldn't it be great to color on the floor? I mean, because after all, I mean, it's so big. You know, and I was never really a color in the lines type of person anyway. But I thought the lines were a little bit constricting. So why color inside them when there's all the space outside them? And the, and the floor had so much space outside of that 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. I thought, this is great. And so then I went and got my two brothers, my younger brothers as well. They're probably, you know, five and three, and I was like six. And I thought, because more, more artists is better, right? And, and so we proceeded to color all over the um, floor while my dad was napping and my mother was out. And somewhere along the line, we began to realize, you know, mom's coming home uh, at some point here. And my brothers, they just kind of left. And I thought, you know, maybe this should probably be cleaned up. And so I thought, what does my mom use to clean stuff up? And I started, I went into the kitchen, looked under the sink, and I thought, saw this green canister. And this, I don't know if I could read very well, but it said C-O-M-E-T. Uh, common. I thought, oh, my mom uses that to clean stuff. And this Brillo pad sitting next to it, she uses that to clean stuff. So I went over into the living room, the hardwood floor, sprinkled it all on there, and was scrubbing with the Brillo pad. And somewhere along the lines, realized, this isn't working. Right? And so I just left it all there and got out of there before, you know, she came home because I didn't want to be at the scene of the crime. I was trying to avoid getting in trouble. Uh, you know what I actually did? My, my dad got in trouble. <laughs> he, she got home and said, hey, how was things? He says, oh, the boys were fine. I didn't hear them all night. I don't know what you're always saying. They're so difficult. You know, and she stood there in the door with bags and said, you didn't hear them all night? And uh, you didn't go see what they were doing? And then she saw the whole thing, right? So, trouble. Sometimes you get in trouble because of something you did. Now, this sermon isn't about that. All right, if you're in that kind of trouble, I'd like to refer you to a sermon I preached a few weeks ago on Psalm 51 about David's powerful prayer of repentance. That's the sermon or the, the prayer you need for that kind of trouble. But there is a different kind of trouble that the Bible says that we go through. At the Last Supper, Jesus told his disciples, in the world, you will have trouble. Right now, there's a promise for you, right? How many of you get up every morning, you claim that promise? God, it's so good to be alive. It's so good to be walking with you. God, what's the trouble I've got today? Let's get to it, right? None of you did that this morning? Okay, so we don't go seeking trouble. That would just be weird, right? But if you live long enough, trouble's going to find you. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So if you're looking for some type of trouble-free world, right, some utopia in this life, you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be disappointed. I mean, throughout history, there have been leaders who have promised, you know, I'll usher in some type of utopia and that type of thing. It never works. It never will work this side of Jesus' kingdom because of the problem of sin. Only Jesus, the sinless Son of God, can usher in the kind of utopia that our hearts long for and seek for when Jesus comes back personally and sets up his kingdom. So when you're in trouble, he says, talk to God. And the Bible gives us many examples. We're going to look at several of them today, maybe five examples of talking to God when you're in trouble. And uh, the cool thing is all of these examples, God is doing something different in the life of the person who's doing the praying in, in, in each one of them. And it should give us some idea of what God wants to do in us, in our lives, when we're in trouble, the types of things that God may want to do. Okay, so the first is this. The first is when Jacob was fleeing from Esau. How many of you remember that story? Maybe from Sunday school. Jacob was fleeing from Esau. Um, he had uh, stolen the birthright and uh, 
He had uh, manipulated his way deceitfully into the blessing. And so in Genesis chapter 27, Esau, it says, held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Esau. And so Jacob is forced to flee from his brother Esau. I mean, he had really blown it big time. He manipulated that birthright and deceptively stole the blessing. And now Esau, I mean, Esau had just had enough. And he wanted to kill Jacob. And you know what? He could do it too. I mean, he's a skilled hunter and outdoorsman and a rough type. And he had killed many animals. And Jacob would be just like one of those animals to him. And so Jacob flees for his life. Flees in fear. And it says in verse 11 that when the sun set, he stopped to make camp for the night. Now, can you imagine what that first night was like? I mean, he's alone. He's got no one to confide in. He's got no one to guide him, tell him where to go. His brother is angry enough to kill him. And, I mean, he's a skilled huntsman. He might be tracking him right now. I mean, it's possible. And, and imagine in the darkness of that night, you know, every twig that breaks in the darkness. Is, is that Esau about to jump and about to pounce? I mean, Jacob is in trouble here. But that night, he has this experience with God. God encourages him. God gives him the covenant of Abraham, makes this covenant with him. And Jacob responds by praying in verses 20 to 22. He calls out to God to watch over him and to provide for him and to keep him safe. And then he made a vow to honor and serve God, saying this, the Lord will be my God. The Lord, that's Yahweh. The Lord will be my God. Now, he didn't know everything that was about to happen. There was a lot of stuff that was coming his way. He had no idea where he was going. He'd never been to this land before. But it's like he's saying, whatever happens, whatever's coming my way, and I don't know what's coming, but the Lord will be my God. God, I'm going to honor you and trust you uh, no matter what's happening. I'm going to honor you and trust you to do everything that you have promised to do. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble and you don't know what's coming next, you don't know what the next steps are going to bring, and you feel like you're in a place where, you know, you've never been this way before, and you don't know what's coming next. You know, sometimes what God is wanting you to do is look to him and say, the Lord will be my God. It doesn't matter what's going to be happening. It doesn't matter what's coming. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord. The Lord will be my God, and I'm going to trust that he's going to do everything that he promised that he will do. Are you in trouble? Then pray. All right, let's look at another one. And in this one, it's still Jacob this time. Only this time, it's 20 years later. 20 years have passed, and he's returning to Canaan. He's returning to his father, Isaac. And he realizes that, you know, oh my goodness, we're going to see Esau again. And he remembers that the last time he saw Esau... <laughs> I'm sorry, I just heard that. The last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. And he's so fearful that when he sees his brother that he still may be angry, he may kill right? And so his mind just goes crazy with all of the negative possibilities. Have you ever done that? Come on, right? Be honest, right? Um, sometimes your mind can go crazy with all the bad things that could happen. And he really got his focus off of God and onto his situation. And you can read about it in Genesis chapter 32. In verse 7, it says that when Jacob heard Esau was coming to meet him, he was in great fear and distress. In great fear and distress. How many of you know that it's difficult to walk in faith 
and in great fear and distress at the same time, right? And so Jacob begins acting out of this great fear and distress. He starts scheming up ways to fix the situation. I mean, first he divides his families and, and flocks into two separate groups. And, and the sad plan here, the sad strategy is that um, if Esau comes and attacks one group and kills all of them, the other group will be able to escape. I mean, the idea is that only half his family will die. I mean, that's really sad. And not only that, it's short-sighted. I mean, because really, what, what, what is the end of that plan? I mean, think about what, what's he going to do? If Esau were to come and attack one group and he starts running, what's he going to do? Run around Canaan for the rest of his life, trying to stay one step ahead of Esau with, 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 with the other group? I mean, it's a really short-sighted plan. You know, and, and sometimes when you act in fear and in distress, it can make you make decisions that are really short-sighted. And so then Jacob gets another idea. He starts to send many large gifts of flocks and herds uh, to Esau, thinking that maybe that will appease Esau. All of these large gifts of flocks and herds. And uh, in the middle of all this fearful scheming, he stops for a moment and realizes, you know, oh, 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 I, I should pray. You know, and, and he prays this prayer in verse 9. Listen to this prayer. It says, Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. Okay, now, this is a good prayer. I mean, this prayer has some good stuff in it, right? But, but it's also a fearful prayer. It's a nervous prayer. I mean, he stops for all of like 30 seconds in the middle of an entire day of being worried and in great fear and great distress. And he stops for like 30 seconds to pray this. And then he goes right on with the rest of the day, scheming in great fear and in great distress. And then at the end of the day, he ends up across the stream, all by himself, looking across at the two camps, one with half his family, the other with the other half of his family. And the plan is just to watch and see which camp Esau will attack, and then to go running with the other camp as half his family is killed. So Jacob is in trouble again. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble, all your best efforts can leave you with an unacceptable situation, with an untenable situation. And sometimes when you're in trouble, you need more than just 30 seconds of a nervous prayer. I mean, how many of us have ever done that? You're in a big, a lot of trouble, and you pray like a nervous prayer for like 30 seconds, right? We've all done that, right? Well, sometimes you need a little bit more than that, you know? And because uh, we're running around fearfully plotting and working and trying to make stuff happen, we stop for a New York minute to pray and then go right back to the worry and fret, right? Sometimes we need more than just a 60-second prayer. And Jacob in our story needed more than that. So in verse 24, it says this. It says, so Jacob was left alone. And the man wrestled with him till daybreak. God comes in the form of an angel here and starts to wrestle with him. And some make the mistake here of thinking, well, Jacob decided. How many of you have ever heard this preach? Jacob decided he needed to get alone with God and wrestle with God till he got the victory, right? That's not really what it says happened here. It says God came to him and started wrestling with him. And Jacob is resisting. It says that the angel couldn't overcome him. 
God is trying to do something in Jacob's life, and Jacob is resisting it. And so finally the angel touches the socket of Jacob's hip, and it's wrenched out of place as he wrestles. Now, why would God do that? Touch the hip, and it's wrenched out of place. I mean, why would God do that? Well, I think it's because what God is doing is taking away the last thing that Jacob can rely on. He's planning on running with that hip. Running with the one camp that doesn't get attacked. But how is he going to run now that God has kind of crippled him? You know, sometimes when you're not trusting God, God has to take away the thing that you're trusting in instead of trusting in him. And so finally, daybreak comes. The angel makes like he's leaving, and he's got him kind of crippled and helpless. And uh, and so now, finally, it says that Jacob is holding on. Instead of fighting him off, now Jacob is holding on to God for dear life and won't let him go. And uh, verse 26, Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now that's a prayer. I mean, earlier in the 32nd prayer that was all fearful, uh, the request went something like this. God, do a few things for me. God, there's some things I want you to do for me. But this prayer is different. This prayer is a desperate, honest prayer that says, God, I need you to do something in me. I need you to do something in me, God, that enables me to go out and face this situation head on in faith. What a difference that is. And the angel responds by asking him, what is your name? Now, that seems odd, doesn't it? I mean, do you suppose for a second that the angel didn't know who this was? What is your name? I mean, you don't think that the angel just came along that night and saw this guy and said, well, this is some poor sorry sap. I think I'll just jump him and beat him up till morning. I mean, the angel knew who he was, right? He's not asking for information here. He's asking for a confession. He's asking, who are you? What are you really like? And Jacob answers, he says, I'm Jacob. My name is Jacob. And Jacob meant deceiver. Literally, it meant he grasped the heel. He had the idea of tripping someone up deceitfully from behind. He says, I'm a deceiver. I'm a schemer. I trust in myself. I'm always trying to scheme things and deceive things. And and, and it's a confession. And now he's in a situation where all that stuff is not working. It's not enough. The angel answers him and says, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. And Israel means he struggles with God. God gave him a new identity, a new motivation. He's not the old Jacob anymore. God did something different in him. He's a new man. And you can see this expressed as the sun comes up the next morning. I mean, the old plan was scrapped. Esau's approaching, and instead of two groups with Jacob on the other side of the brook, now the groups are unified again. There's one group, and Jacob is in front of the group where he should be leading his family. And instead of running away, now he's walking towards Esau. Now he's walking in faith. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble, what you need is not for God to do a few things for you. Sometimes what you need is for God to do something in you so that you can look at the situation that you are in and face it head on with faith in the Lord God that he's going to be faithful to you and he's going to bring you through to 
the other side. Are you in trouble? Pray. And let God do whatever he needs to do in your heart so that you can walk through. Now, here's another example. Here's a third example. This one involves David. David, Psalm 57, it says, David fled from King Saul into a cave. You know, David, I mean, he was often in trouble with King Saul, right? I mean, King Saul was chasing him all over the place, but, uh, and it was, wasn't because of David's doing. David didn't do anything wrong, but David had become exceedingly popular because he's, he killed Goliath, and God had given him so many victories. He, he was becoming very, very popular. And so Saul became jealous of David because of this. I mean, to the point of mental illness, Saul was so jealous of David. And he tried to kill David several times. So David had to flee. He had to go live in the wilderness, in the countryside. He couldn't go into towns and villages because it was so dangerous. And Saul tried to hunt him down. I mean, he would come after him with his whole army. I mean, one time, it says that David was on one side of the mountain with his small group of men. And Saul and his whole army were on the other side going around trying to catch up to him. But David, in spite of all this, he, may, he remains integrous. Right? He could have taken Saul out several times, but he doesn't. And, and in Psalm 57, we have this great description of what is going on in David's heart as he's facing this trouble. I mean, the title says this, Psalm 57 of David when he had fled from Saul into the cave. David's in trouble. And in verse 1 and 2, he says this, Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for I take refuge in you. I cry out to God most high. Now those are the expressions of someone who's in trouble, right? I mean, you don't cry out to God and take refuge in God and call out for mercy when everything's coming up roses, right? He's in trouble. He goes on and he describes the situation to God. He says, you know, people are hotly pursuing him. Verse 4, he says, I'm, I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows. He's saying, people are trying to tear me apart, God. He goes on to say their tongues are sharp swords. And here he's saying that people are lying about me. People are saying I'm guilty of things that I'm not guilty of, God. But look where he goes in verse 5. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. So he begins to just Praise God in the middle of all this. Going on in verse 7, he says, My heart, oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast, and I will sing and make music. Now, wait a minute. Really? I mean, think about that. He's going to sing and make music here, right in the cave? When Saul's out there with his whole army trying to find him? I mean, is this really the time for that? I mean, is this the time to break out the shofar and the ten-string lyre and just lay down a groove? And start in with your worship service and your praise service and all of that? Is this really the time for that? Well, apparently, yes. Yes, it is. Going on in verse 8, he says, Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the people. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. I mean, he's hiding in the cave. Saul's searching for him with the whole army, wants to kill him, and David is singing. David is worshiping and praising God. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble and you pray and you bring the situation to God like David did, God also wants you to learn how to then begin to just praise him the way that David did. 
Say, God, I don't know what's going on here, and, uh, but you know, I mean, I'm in trouble and it looks bad, but I'm going to praise you anyway. There's something powerful about praising God when you're in trouble. It's like a declaration that you know God is going to be faithful to you. And that no matter what happens, God is still worthy of praise. There's something powerful about praise when you're in trouble. Remember Jehoshaphat? All the armies came and surrounded Jerusalem and they felt overwhelmed. There were so many armies and they went into the temple and prayed and then God gave them a word. And then what they do the next day? They sent the musicians and the worship team out first to face those people. And if God didn't do something, they were going to be the first one to get it. All right, Gloria, how'd you like to lead that battle? All right, there you go. Joyce, where are you? We want to lead that battle, right? Scott, you good? Want to lead that battle? The worship team leads the battle. Hallelujah. Paul and Silas in prison. Think about that for a minute. They'd been beaten. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if this was the end of the road for them. Right? No clue about what's going to happen. And they decide, you know what? It's about midnight here. We're bleeding. No one's taking care of our wounds. Let's praise God. Let's worship God. And you know what? It's not like they knew that the, God was going to send an earthquake or anything like that. You know, it's not like they said, hey, 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 Silas, maybe if we praise God, he'll send an earthquake and we'll get out of here. It had nothing to do with that. They were praising God no matter what was going to happen. And then God sent an earthquake. And you know what? It wasn't even for them to escape. It was so the jailer could, could hear about Christ. And then he went and gave them a meal, tended to their wounds. But then they went right back to jail. And they weren't free till the next day. But they praised God, and it was powerful. Sometimes, when you're in trouble, you bring it to God, leave it with Him, then God wants you to learn how to praise Him through the midst of it. Are you in trouble? Then pray. Here's one more example of David. This is a little bit later, and again, it has a little bit of a different emphasis about what God was doing, all right? David is at Ziklag. You can find this in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And he's in trouble. I mean, things have gotten so bad, he's moved out of Israel, he's living among the Philistines, and one day, he and his men, they come back from an expedition, and they find that the Amalekites have raided their town. And they've made off with all of their women and all of their children, and they're in anger. You know, they're, and they're weeping. I mean, you would be too, right? And to make things worse, it says that the men were talking about stoning David. I mean, that's pretty bleak. David is really, really alone here and really in trouble. But it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord and he began to seek God. That is, he began to pray. And rather than give in to the despair of the situation, he began to seek God and he asked, Shall I go and pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? God, will you give us the victory? God, will you be with us? God, uh, God what shall I do now? And then God spoke and they went. They pursued them, and ultimately they overtook the raiding party and recovered everybody alive. And it was great rejoicing. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble and despair, what you need is more direction from God. And here's what I mean. You know, it can be really, really easy. When you're in trouble, when you're going through it, it can be really easy to get stuck there and wallow in, de in despair and get stuck on the why question. I mean, that's only natural. Something bad happens, and we want to know why. God, why did this happen? 
God, why couldn't something else have happened? God, I don't understand. Why did you allow it, God? God, why didn't you stop it? God, why? And that's normal. And that's natural for a time. But the problem with the why question is that there's not always a good answer. There are some things that we will never understand. We'll never understand why until we get to the other side. Until we see Jesus face to face. There's just some things in life that we'll never have an answer to the why question. And the the problem is, is you can get stuck in a loop of why. That traps you in that moment. That defines your life by that moment. That traps you in a prison created by that moment. A prison of why. And you think that the way out is a key called why. If I just keep using this, this key called why, then, then, then I'll be able to get out. And you find that, that it never seems to work. That you're still stuck in this prison. Stay locked in that moment. Trapped in that prison moment. And the real key out is a key called what? God, what do you want to do next? God, what do you want me to do next? God, what are my next steps? God, what do you want to do? The real key out is called what? David had the wisdom after a little bit of time to move past the why question and begin to ask the what question. God, what do you want me to do now? God, what's the plan? How do we move forward? And God helped David and his group find the way forward to a solution they never would have experienced if they had just stayed on the why question. You know, sometimes you have to leave the why questions until we get to heaven, until the other side, if we're going to experience what God wants us to experience. You know, and I could share several times in my life, you know, when things happen, you know, and I ask God why, you know, and... Um, and I wouldn't diminish that for anyone. You know, sometimes some really bad stuff happens. There are times I ask God, why? God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why didn't you prevent it? Why didn't you do something else, God? But eventually God enabled me to begin to ask the what questions. God, what do you want to do now? And I found God doing some amazing, amazingly redemptive things in my life, in the life of my family as well. Things and blessings that I could never have imagined. Are you in trouble? Then pray. All right, let's look at one more example, then we'll close. This one's from the New Testament. And it's Peter in prison in Acts chapter 12. And it says that Herod had arrested some of the believers intending to persecute them. Well, isn't that lovely? Just wants to mess with them. In verse 2 it says, He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And he saw that that made the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem really happy. And so he proceeded to seize Peter as well. And his intent is to bring him out after the Passover and have a mock public show trial uh, putting him uh, to death as well. And then the people will be really happy with him then. That's Herod's plan. And so Peter is in trouble. He's being guarded by four squads of soldiers and this powerful, maniacal king is intending to put him to death. And so in verse 5 it says this. So Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly Praying to God for him. Let me say that again. Peter was kept in prison, but the church, the body of Christ, was earnestly praying to God for him. So you remember the first sermon I preached in this series about um, Elijah and uh, 
we quoted James saying that Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed how? He prayed earnestly, and God moved. And then James says that the earnest prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Well, the church here, the body of Christ, is praying earnestly. And look what God does in this situation. Verses 6 and 10, 6 through 10. The night before he's supposed to be brought out for this sham trial, he's sleeping between two soldiers, and there's other soldiers guarding the doors, and, and suddenly this angel appears, and there's all of this light in the cell, and uh, he's bright and shiny, and it seems like, I mean, he's the only one who notices it. The angel wakes him up, says, you know, get up, and the chains fall off. Peter puts on his clothes and follows the angel out of his cell, and past all of the other guards, and none of the guards or soldiers even realize what's happening, right? And, and, and finally, they come to the gate leading to the city. Oh, it opens up all by itself, and P- they walk through, and I mean, I mean, it's so odd that Peter thinks he's having a vision. But finally, when he's outside and the angel leaves him, he realizes, oh my goodness, this really happened. I mean, this is really real. God changed the situation. God rescued him. You know, sometimes when you're in trouble... God wants you to pray earnestly. He wants the body of Christ to pray earnestly because he does want to change the situation. You know, and and I love what happens next. Verse 12, Peter goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. John Mark, he's the guy who wrote the gospel of Mark. And it says, many people had gathered there and were praying. And so Peter knocks on the door and he wants to let them know about this miraculous thing that God has just done. And it says, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. And they told her, you know, you're out of your mind. They didn't believe her. You're out of your mind. But she kept on insisting that it was so. And so they said, you know, it must be his angel. They're thinking, you know, probably Herod already killed him and it's his spirit that's showing up at the door, knocking on the door, right? And, and, and so, I mean, I guess that's why Jesus so often looked at his disciples and said, Oh, you of little faith. I mean, here they are praying for a thing to happen. When someone says, it happened, they're like, no, 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 couldn't happen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so, and meanwhile, I mean, Peter's still out there at the door. He, he's still knocking. And he probably can hear all the commotion inside. And, you know, he's just trying to get in without attracting too much attention, right? Without waking up all the neighbors and having them wonder what's going on, maybe reporting on them, or, or having a squad of, uh, of soldiers who's patrolling that night come by and say, hey, what's going on over here? Or anything like that. Or, hey, you're that Peter guy, right? right? He's just trying to get in. And so they finally let him in. And it says they're astonished. Peter quiets them down and describes for the, everything that happened and how God had answered their prayers. Sometimes when you're in trouble, God wants you to pray because he does, in fact, want to change the situation. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. When you're in trouble, God wants you to pray. Sometimes, because like Jacob, who was fleeing, you need a declaration of faith that says, the Lord will be my God no matter what. Sometimes, because like Jacob, you need God not to change the situation, but to change something in you so you can face the situation. Sometimes, because like David and Paul and Silas and Jehoshaphat, you need to learn the power of praising God in the midst of trouble. Sometimes, like David, it's because God wants us to move past the why question to the what question. And sometimes, like Peter, it's because God wants to change the situation. Is anyone among you in trouble... 
let them pray. Would you all stand with me for a moment as we're going to close this service? And would you bow your heads in prayer? And let me just ask you, how many of you would say right now that, you know, you're in trouble? Just with a raise of hand. I mean, not like you got a hangnail or something like that, but, you know, there's really something you'd rather not face right now, and you're facing it. And you'd say, yeah, Pastor Paul, that's me. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Anyone else? I just want to pray for you. You're, you feel like you're in trouble, and, and God's speaking to you about one of these areas that we talked about. Thank you for those hands. Let's pray together. Amen. Father, we just uh, pray in the name of Jesus. God, you see all of these uh, hands that went up, God. People saying, no, there's a situation that they, your people feel like they are in trouble. They're facing something difficult. God, I pray you'd give the wisdom to see how you're moving. God, whether it's a need for a declaration of faith, you are God, or a need for you to change something, God, in their hearts, God, or a need to just believe God for something to happen, God, or even to move past a why question to what, whatever the situation, God, is. God, I pray that you'd come and you'd touch and minister to your people, God. Give the grace that, you need, that they need and that only you can pour out, God. We pray you bless your people and all the body of Christ, God, in the name of Jesus. Help us to be people who look to you and trust you in the middle of trouble. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen, amen.